Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 244 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Juliette Osborne. Juliette lives in Bangor, Maine, and she is a stay-at-home mom to four kids, and she also homeschools them, so we know she is super busy. (laughs) Welcome, Juliette. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad to be talking to you today. The audience can't see me, but you can, but I shared before we started, I am recording my very first time wearing a wet bathing suit. (laughs) I just (laughs) literally rolled in off the beach. I told Juliet, my friend Sherry Bullock, I think she was intermittent fasting stories number seven, something like that. And she's my co-host on Life Lessons. She's visiting for a week. Tomorrow is her birthday. And I left her on the beach and rolled on over here. And I'm excited to do it. Love to talk to people on the podcast. So welcome again, Juliet. 
I appreciate you coming away from the beach and Sherry. That's quite a sacrifice. <laughs> Not even a little bit because I was like, Sherry, I got to go record a podcast. I'll be back. She also, I need to look, you know, I've gotten the fair skin. She's, she gets tan so easily. So I'm like, I need a break anyway. <laughs> but I wasn't expecting my bathing suit to still be wet till I sat down like, oh, well, it is what it is. I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Okay. My friend, Jenny Mills, I have to give a shout out to her. She calls me up one day and she says, okay, so I'm reading this book, Delay Don't Deny, and I'm terrified I'm going to starve. What's happening here? And so we met at the park and I had grown up with parents that did fasting for health reasons and religious reasons. So it was not weird to me at all. And I had been fasting once or twice a week, my whole adult life. Oh, wow. Uh, Not clean. Not clean fasting, but yeah, I had coffee with some creamer in it. Yeah, for years and years and years. Loved, loved that feeling you get when you're just like in the fasted state, clarity of mind and all the things. So we went to the park and we talked and I encouraged her, no, you're not going to starve. It's going to be awesome. So a couple months later, she's dropping weight. Like it's unbelievable. And she had, she's got her own story to tell, but she had struggled a long time and she was just having phenomenal success. I said, okay, what's this book? Let me check it out. So I read Delay, Don't Deny. I don't even think I was a chapter in, and I started. That was October 28th, 2019, and I've never not fasted since then. It was, of course, it was easy because I didn't have any hangups about fasting being dangerous or or whatever. So like the mental game, yeah, very much helps was a lot easier. And I knew I felt well when I fasted. So that again was like, oh, I'm a little like nauseous right now, but it'll pass and then I'll feel better. And so no big deal. And so she, her successor was amazing. I came right along behind her and about a month in, I hadn't told my husband about this because like you, I've tried all kinds of things. None none of them were like scary, unhealthy, there weren't like injections and weird pills and stuff, but I've been I on were, a lot. Right? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but I certainly had tried everything from keto to vegan and everything in between. And so about a month in, my husband says, what are you doing? And I want in. The difference was that dramatic for me in a month. And I think what's so important about my story is I was really sick before IF, like really sick. I had a host of health issues, lupus, fibromyalgia, Raynaud's, migraines. Oh gracious, what else? I mean, delisco. And, and with those things, you get all kinds of other sort of side autoimmune disorders. I was really sick. Before IF, I was just so sick. And I have changed all that. I have a list. Of, we'll go through it. It's really quite spectacular. But this is the part that makes me so teary thinking about it. This morning and yesterday, I asked my family, what do you think has changed the most for mama since doing IF? And they stopped and they thought about it. And they said, we don't honestly really remember what it was like. I have been so well so long now, almost three years, that they had forgotten how sick I was. And we all kind of had this moment of just real gratitude that this is the existence that we have. So it's been... Almost, almost three years. years. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll be really almost three. Right. But we're recording this in July. I, I think that is just amazing. They don't even remember. I mean, they do now that you, you reminded them of it. But they right. just you now as this healthy mom that's healthy and feeling good and able to live your life and not sick. And so that other mom is like a distant memory. Yeah, it's really just, and what a cool thing to have. I think that the hard times in our lives, I keep thinking of like a tapestry when people do, what is that, needlepoint? 
the front of it looks all beautiful and put together and you flip it over and the back is just this tangled it's mess, mess, right? Yeah. Just such a mess. And like the hard things in our lives are those dark strands that you have to have for the contrast. And we see the dark strands and we see the chaos and we, we just don't realize the beauty that's coming that's being, I don't know, created in us and in our lives by the hardship. I love that analogy of the tapestry and that all the pieces are important and it's okay that it's a mess in the back. I think that's really important. And I know you've heard me say this before, but I'm grateful for everything I've gone through and even for being obese, because if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would appreciate the body I live in now the way that I do. Yes. Oh, most definitely. If you had never been through all of that, the autoimmune struggles that you have gone through, you would not appreciate how great you feel today. Absolutely. So how old were you when you started struggling with the autoimmune diseases or issues? Let me think. I was, so it's been 14 years. So it was 14 years when I was first really sick. They think that probably in my teens, probably 15-ish is when it started. That's when I started getting the migraines. That's when I developed all the food sensitivities. That's when I started, I think, having some of the joint pain. But you're a teenager, you're growing. It was an incredibly stressful time in my life. And like, we'll oh, that's growing pains. They told us yeah, that, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. And headaches, that comes with your period and who knows what right. else. So they just chalk it up to nothing. But it was a very stressful period of time in my life. And we're going to talk about that towards the end of my story here. But that's when it started. And then when with when I was pregnant with each of my children, my pregnancies were, I would say, rougher than normal. And of course, we know now that like lupus is really hard on your body. It's harder when you're when you're pregnant for, for most people, not everybody, but most people. So with my daughter, so she's 13. When I was pregnant with her, I was sick. Oh, gosh, sick. I can't even explain. You know, you're tired and you're fatigued and your brain doesn't work all the time when you're pregnant. But I threw up every day of that pregnancy. Like just Is that your only girl? And no, I've got two of each. Okay. Yep. So she's like, she was, so I've got three kids that are about three years apart, my, my oldest three. And then huh, my baby is almost eight years different from my, was my baby. And right. this is a huge age gap. Surprise, baby. I wouldn't put him back, but he was definitely a surprise. <laughs> but with her, when I got pregnant, I knew there just wasn't something right. And I, you know, I went through my pregnancy and she was delivered. She was healthy. She was awesome. But my postpartum after her was hellacious. I can't even explain it to you. Like I'd never really struggled much with depression. I'm a fairly cheerful person and I struggled really. Of course, I didn't know I was sick. I struggled to do anything. I was exhausted. I hurt everywhere. My brain didn't work. And here I've got these three little people to care for. So I, I remember my husband went to a baseball game and he was gone. I was mowing the lawn. I was having a good weekend. I don't want to make it sound like he left me and I was sick, but I was actually doing pretty good that weekend. He went for a trip. I mowed the lawn and I was out in the sun for probably two, two hours or so. And sun is a real factor with lupus. And I came inside and all of a sudden I couldn't like feel my fingers. Oh, wow. And like my tongue, I like my tongue felt like it was swelling up in my mouth. There was nothing. I looked at it. It was perfectly fine. And I was exhausted, exhausted. Of course, he comes home from his trip and I'm like, something is wrong. I don't really know what's wrong with something. And so over the course of you know the next six months or so, I'm it's terrifying when you don't know what's wrong with you. You're going oh, to yeah. have MRIs because they're looking for MS and Lyme disease and brain tumors and all that stuff. And so I was really blessed though, because generally lupus, because it looks like a lot of other diseases, 
and it usually takes about two years to get diagnosed. And I got a diagnosis in about three to four months. It was really awesome. So with lupus, you have, I wrote down a whole list of things, what my experience was. And I think I'll just read them because there's a lot. Okay. I don't know a lot about lupus. So, well, okay. So lupus is an autoimmune disorder. So basically what that means is that it attacks its body. If you have Hashimoto's that attacks your thyroid, if you have, uh, you know, some Jorgens that attacks your skin, just different things. So lupus is called systemic lupus. It attacks everything. Your hair can fall out, joint pain, your kidneys can shut down. It can do everything with lupus. And I love that I wrote this. This is actually the email that I sent you to say, hey, Jen, you want to tell my story? And I was so glad I had written this down because really when I was trying to remember how sick I was, I had forgotten some of these things. Yeah, it was really cool. It's, once okay. it's out of your mind, you're like, I just feel good now. I don't even remember what that was. Well, and I realized I don't have any pictures except for one being in a wheelchair that whole 12 years. I don't know. Maybe it was self-preservation. I wanted to see myself in a wheelchair. I'm not sure. But before intermittent fasting... I was desperate and it wasn't just from lupus. Like I was desperate to be in a place where I wasn't chasing every fad, trying every new exercise thing that was out there. And I think that word desperate describes all of it. Right. It really just describes all of it. And I know that everybody out there who has done any kind of dieting can relate to that feeling of being desperate. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's buyoptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So... With lupus, I was, I had like 15 to 25 migraines a month that had, that needed hardcore meds. And then the meds are so awful. They make you feel terrible, but you can't not, you can't, you have to fix them, right? Before IF, I, my lupus was so severe that I was confined to a wheelchair and bedridden for days at a time. 
at its worst, my husband had to give me baths and get me dressed. And as for a super independent person, that's really hard. I think it's hard for everybody, but for some of us, we're prideful and cocky. It's worse. Oh, yeah. It would be very Um, hard for me. Yeah, really hard. So he took over getting groceries, did most of the cooking and the general running of our house. My kids had to learn to cook and clean well beyond their years when they were little. They've really all but grown up, but with like a disabled mom. I gave them the best I could, but I had lots of limitations. I had joint pain to the point where I couldn't button my clothes or fasten my bra. Sometimes I couldn't even feed myself like with a fork. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. My brain fog was to such an extreme that I, I couldn't form words or, or even like if I would be thinking the sky is blue, I could think the words and I could not make them physically come out of my mouth. And I'm very extroverted. So that was, yeah, that was I mean, really like, hard. there's zero signs of that right now listening to yeah. you. I mean, you're just putting <laughs> words together. I mean, I can't even yeah. imagine that feeling. I learned to understand people who are very shy people with anxiety, people who are very introverted in such a neat way. Cause an extrovert and introvert, they're so different. It's like their worlds don't even touch ever. Unless you're one of those magical people that sort of unicorn that rides in the middle. And for me to experience that, I have such a greater understanding. So I try not to come across as strong as I would normally, because right. sometimes an extrovert can be way too much for an introvert. I and get that. The need as, to- as an extrovert, <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> married to an introvert. Oh yeah. She's an extrovert and she's staying here at our house and we're going back and forth to the beach cottage. And I'm like, Chad, do you want us just to go stay at the beach for a couple of nights? He said, yes. Yes, please. I'll get your bag. (laughs) Get out. So that's a real blessing that came from that time. You learn from, from not being able to get the words out. You learn to, to know what it was like to be that person, to struggle, to struggle with confidence, to struggle. Oh, I need to think through what I want to say. And that's a real blessing that comes again. There's the tapestry. That's a real blessing that came from that time. I wouldn't exchange that. Cause I mean, I've got four children and I've got two that are definitely more extroverted and two that are not introverted, but one that definitely is more. And I just think I understand them more when you're trying to say, introduce them to strangers, the little kid doesn't want to. And I'm thinking, what's the big deal? You shake their hand, you say, hi, and they're terrified. And I just understand that better. So you were really dealing with a lot. Oh my gracious. Like my hair fell out. I had mouth sores. I would have periods of weakness and fatigue that would come on. So suddenly I'd be in my car driving with my little children in the car and I would have to pull off the interstate because I could not physically drive another second. And I would have to just sit there and either have someone come get us or just wait until I felt the strength to drive home. It was, that, that was probably the scariest. That was. And so you said that period of time lasted for about 14 years? Yep. I'm trying to think. Oh, and my relationship with food, like that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. Just dysfunctional at best. That Those are the big things. You know, like I think I struggled with depression. I mean, part of lupus is you you do struggle with depression, because not because you're sick and you feel sad about it, but it's like a part of the actual disease. But that is true too, you know, that you feel you take a person that used to be vibrant and functional and make them just weak and completely dependent on other people. Yeah, that's hard. And you feel like your body is betraying you, I bet. And that's depressing. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I can imagine that. I can't imagine how that, how hard that would be because it's some like, like you, I am very active. I can do anything I want to do. I can run up and down the flights of stairs, do do hard things. And to suddenly lose that ability would be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. My, my husband was so cool about it. You know, he just, 
I think there were times he didn't understand because before I knew how sick I was, we would be doing like, we would be putting in a flower bed and I'd be lugging rocks. And he was used to a woman who could lug rocks all afternoon and do things. And all of a sudden I would just be done, just done. I would like, I can't finish this project with you. I'm sorry. And he's like, well, do I need to do the rest of the project by myself? Do I need to come and take care of you? And that was about the only thing that that was a real challenge because it came, it would come on so suddenly I could be at church or at the grocery store and all of a sudden just lack the strength and the ability to stand. And are these, I, mean, I don't really know the answer to this. So I'm just going to ask, are these still fairly misunderstood by the medical profession? I maybe not lupus, but I know fibromyalgia still can tend to be misunderstood. I mean, I think it's changing to some degree, but I ha- I'm really blessed to have a couple of friends of mine who are doctors and their perspective on patient care is interesting because they say that so often a patient will come in struggling with something and you can give them the best advice and most of them won't do it. And so it's, if you have someone that's coming in and saying they're really struggling and they're so desperate, they're willing to try anything, then I think they're just more, I don't know, they're more apt to listen to what the doctors say. On one hand, on the other hand, I think you also have just like anything, you've got great doctors and not great doctors, you know, and I, I certainly yeah, great teachers, right? terrible teachers. Great, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good homeschoolers, not great homeschoolers. Yeah. I mean, so you run the gamut, but I think that, I think that if you can form a relationship with a good doctor, I mean, that's, that's the deal. Like if you've got an issue, you've got to have a good doctor. If your doctor isn't great and they're not listening to you and they're not interacting with you, get another one. Yeah. I know that's it's so much easier said than done in some places. Yeah. It's hard to find a good doctor, but it's really important because it, it needs to be a relationship where they listen to you and they hear you and they believe you instead yeah. of just brushing you off. It was great that you were able to get that diagnosis just in three to four months versus, but I can see how it would take because they're not like like a test you can do that's, or, or are there tests? There's just well, a constellation the, of symptoms. Is that how they diagnose it? You, well, that is how they diagnose it. You, there are some blood like tests that they do that are very lupus specific, but it's more like a factor of ruling other things out. There's a main test that they'll take and that will be for a host of different autoimmune disorders. You just have, you have elevated this particular test. That means you can have these things. So it's just a, a marker of autoimmune in general. Exactly. Yeah. So I was, yeah, the woman, the neurologist that I went to see, I mean, she saw me, she was right out of school and she spent an hour with me. She was super thorough. And she said, I think you have a connective tissue disorder. And I said, I'm sorry. I would say, what, what is that? <laughs> and she said, I'm going to test you for these things. And my test came back and then we went from there. So even before I had a diagnosis, I had a pretty strong idea of what was wrong with me, which was awesome. That's good. So when you started intermittent fasting, you were still in the depths of this. The thick of it. Oh, I was very sick. Yep. All of those things that I just talked about were going on all the time. Yep. So how was your experience in those early days of fasting? What was that like when you first started? You said you started right away. How did you start? I started right away. Um, I'm trying to think. I got to a, a window, like a 20 and four window quickly, probably within the first month. Cause it seemed like I just wanted to make it easy on myself. And I just kind of cut my window back by an hour, kind of every day till I found, Oh, I don't really want to go all the way to dinner. I don't really like to eat super late. So kind of two to two to six became sort of my happy place. Yeah. And so I got there and it was amazing within that, those first four weeks, 
I noticed a difference in my brain fog, my fatigue, my migraines. You know, those are the things that really off the top of my head that just changed right away. And I lost some weight, which was great, but and I didn't change my diet. In the very beginning, because of my history with a lot of disordered eating, I didn't change my diet at all. Granted, I ate probably like 85, 15 rule, 85% of what I ate was very like, I, I cook it here. It's all clean. Yes, ma'am. And then the other 15% was whatever pizza and ice cream or nothing. And right. it probably, honestly, Jen, I think it took me a year and a half to undo diet mentality. It really did. It's not a quick journey. You know, people sometimes will ask, they'll say, people ask a lot of questions that I'm like, that is unanswerable. <laughs> <laughs> How long does it take to lose the diet brain? And I'm like, I can't tell you. You know, it took Juliet a, a year and a half. It probably took me a lot longer than that. Um, in fact, I know that it did. I know it took me a lot longer than that. Four years. I don't know. I'm still sometimes it, it rears its ugly head. But, you know, there's no timeline. It depends on how dysfunctional that brain of yours, how how deeply ingrained those patterns of thinking are. So oh, you, absolutely. You, about, you said 18 months for you? Yeah. Well, and honestly, like I'll talk about it in a little bit, it came back, it came roaring back in the last six months. It does do that, especially if you, your body changes, like as I was going through menopause and my body started changing and I'm like, hmm, do I need to do a low fat diet? Track all the things and count all the things. (laughs) I'm like, no, I do not. Stop. No, I do not. (laughs) I do not want to. No. But it's all there. It's you know, those those old patterns of thinking can rear their ugly selves, right, and pop themselves back in. Absolutely. So you started to feel better immediately. I did. It was remarkable. I I have not been in a wheelchair since then. Wow. And how much yep. of the time would you say you had been in the wheelchair? Oh my goodness sakes! I would say. It was always packed in the van because we never knew if I was going to need it. Like it's it was that. It. Yeah. I was probably, we homeschooled all through the year so that if I needed to take a month off for being in bed, I could, as opposed to like your September through mid-June because of that. Gosh, I can't even remember. I just, it was a lot. I was either, if I wasn't, if I wasn't like in my wheelchair, I was moving pretty slowly. There were times I would take a walker and walk a mile up and down my road and it would take me 40 minutes. I wanted the walk. I was getting yeah. the walk. Yeah. And that's what I was going to do. It. You wanted your body to be moving. Because yeah. I think once we sit down and never get up, that's even worse. But yes, absolutely. Keep going, but it was not easy. No. I mean, I'm just astonished by that. You have not needed the wheelchair since you began. That is amazing. No, not at all yet. And what's funny is that even as it transitioned, because I want to see it probably took five or six months for my body to undo the higher levels of cortisol. You know, just that constant sort of adrenal fatigue that comes with being super, super sick. And I can tell you why I know that because when I would do any longer fasts, more than that 20 hours, I would really not feel well. And it was just too much. Absolutely. So your body absolutely let you know 20 was your limit. And your body said, nope, that's all I'm going to do. Great job listening to your body. When you used to have the big Facebook groups, and I would get on there and there would be people, oh, I've got lupus or I've got this or I've got that. And for me, in that period of time, they would just reiterate exactly what I was feeling. It's just too much right now. Once you're well, it's different. Like right now I can fast all kinds of lengths and it doesn't bother me at all. And I loved it because I would I would push it. I'd go, let's try 21, 22, 23. And my body just absolutely was not, it wasn't good. 
I could actually bring on like a little bit of a flare because it was just mm-hmm. too much. That's really important to share. And it's, it's another example of we are not identical. Absolutely. <laughs> we hear the word on the street of the people who criticize intermittent fasting is, oh, it's going to cause you to have adrenal fatigue, or it's bad if you have adrenal fatigue, or don't do it. It's going to make your cortisol go crazy. But you found it helped with those things when you found your sweet spot. It's all about finding your sweet spot, working with the body that, that you've got and really tuning into it. Because I guess all those, all those years of being sick, really, you were tuned into your body. I think you kind of had to be because yeah. and it was funny is my kids could see on my face if I was getting ready to sort of like melt and just like not work. And, and I could feel it as I would get kind of, this is going to sound so bizarre, but I could feel the inflammation. I could feel like the inflammation in my body. I don't know if I would get maybe hot or something and I would know, oh, jump up. This is just not going to be a good day. And so we would make sure that I had, I had this little basket gin that I would have like a CD player and I would have some lotion and a candle and a couple of my favorite books. And they would know, can you get mom her basket? Cause she can't get off the couch and they would bring it to me. And then they would go set about doing their different school that they could do without me. And Yeah. They were Hard just time for you and they knew because they could tell by looking at you that you needed yeah. needed that basket. They sound yeah. like great kids. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. And when when, the, when they need to rise to the occasion, they just did it. Yeah. They didn't know any different, you know? Yeah, they didn't. So did you need to lose weight at the time or was it just strictly health that you were after? Oh, no. I, I definitely needed to lose weight. I first gained weight when I was maybe 20. We thought that I had hypoglycemia. And so the first thing they want you to do is eat a bunch of little meals. And so I went from eating probably lunch, because I've never liked breakfast, lunch and dinner to eating breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack. And I put on 50 pounds overnight. And here's what's so funny. When you really understand how it all works, it seems to me like we would realize that actually gets you on that blood sugar roller coaster and makes the hypoglycemia worse instead of better. And so many people like think they can't do intermittent fasting. They're like, can't do it. I've got hypoglycemia. And then they get adjusted to fasting and find, oh, guess what? My blood sugar is very stable during the fast. If you're fasting clean, now obviously if someone's not fasting clean, I bet they would still have that problem when they spike their insulin, blood sugar would crash. But if you're fasting clean, I learned when I was wearing a CGM how very stable my blood sugar is during the fast. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it came on quick. And so since after that time, so like probably 20, I, oh gosh, I just tried lots of different things. Probably calorie counting was the easiest for me just because it didn't take much brain power. And, but, oh gosh, here I am now 45. I haven't tracked a calorie and I don't even know how long gin, and I can still look at an apple and go, oh, that's 80 to 120 calories. That's so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've said it before, tracking tracking calories led me to eat the worst foods possible because I'm like, well, yes. I know this is a 100-calorie snack pack, so I'll just eat that versus that apple. It might be 80 to 120, so what do you write? <laughs> is 80 to 120? I don't know. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. It's just so, and it so shuts off your ability to say, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat something. I'm going to nourish my body and then be done. It just yeah. completely... That's what it did to me. I completely lost the ability 
to to even really know if I was hungry or to know when to stop. Like you only stop because you've had that number of calories. Right. Or eat more because you know you have another 200 left. Oh, yeah. Even though you're full. I've got 200 calories left. What can I have? I'm going to have two snack packs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. I will never eat another snack pack of anything in my life. Of anything ever. No, I'd rather just go hungry. Yeah, that's true. true. I'd rather just not. At my heaviest, that was like 260. That's at my heaviest. Through just sure sort of willpower, like I would get pregnant and I would put on about 40 pounds and then I would take that off plus 20. So by the time I got to intermittent fasting, I had gotten down. I was, I'm trying to think, I was about 215. And then I tried keto just before that and put on 15 pounds because I hate keto. It makes me feel horrible. I laughed every time you talk about it. I love other people who use it and it works great. But I believe that it does. I believe that it works well for so many people. And I wish that everyone would also believe it doesn't work for everybody. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. So let's see. So I started at 230. And I think sizes are important too, because just wait, because you weigh what you weigh doesn't mean you wear a certain size. So I'm five, six. Yeah, I'm five, six. And I weigh 230 pounds. I, what is that kilos? 104 kilos. I don't know. For all my people that live other places. And like a, it was a snug 18 wide, which really is probably closer to a 20 double X shirt. And then through fast, because I know people like to know all the numbers through intermittent fasting, like I've lost 65 pounds, but even more importantly, so I'm like 165. Now I wear like a six, eight pant and in a medium top, which I've never been the size of my whole life. Yes, it does. Yeah. And I lost a shoe size. What's that all about? That's so funny. I, yeah, I was, I go back to my high school shoe size. I was a seven and a half shoe. And then over time, gradually grew to be an eight, eight and a half, every now and then like a nine and some crazy things. But I'm back to that seven and a half, sometimes an eight that I had been in high school. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I think it's the inflammation. Also, Honestly, it might be just the weight, the weight down on your feet and making them. I don't know if that's a thing, making your feet whiter. I don't know why. All the weight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. Somebody asked me recently, we said, what's your goal weight? And I'm like, I don't care. I just love, I love doing this. I love eating, stopping, taking a break, eating again, not thinking about it. Yeah. It's just, it's such a lifestyle. I think that because fasting was not scary to me when I started and I had such incredible success health-wise very quickly on, I realized this is just going to be my thing. I'm going to do this forever. No, you couldn't pay me three meals a day. (laughs) Even even on like the holidays. And even if I'm being like very loosey-goosey on a holiday, I still will eat for 10 hours at a time. I'm going to eat a meal and then I'm going to be done. And then I'm going to maybe eat another meal. In fact, I laugh hysterically every time you talk about Chad doing his, Chad he's going to have his lunch and then he's going to do his fast in the middle and he's going to eat again. And <laughs> yeah. Although I think last night he skipped dinner because he like, was at Lowe's and he came back and he's like, now it's too late to eat. I'm like, what? I think he only, he had like lunch and then a snack and that was it. Oh my goodness. I know. It was like a- He's disciplined. That's how his brain works, I guess. It was like he got home later. I think he needed to get out of the house because Sherry had just gotten there and he's like, I got to get out of here for a while (laughs) because we were cooking dinner and making a lot of noise and playing the music and 
all that. And so then by the time he came back, it was like nine o'clock. I'm like, well, here's your dinner. He's like, it's too late to eat now. I'm just not going to eat. And I'm like, okay. That is so funny. Well, because he's got to eat tomorrow at 12. So 11. 11. Okay. That's so funny. That's awesome. You know, it's at 11 now that he's retired and he's on that schedule. It's 11 every day. That's so cute. It is so cute. But yeah, you're right. Like I think back to the holidays, like even when I feel like I've eaten all day long and like I can't believe I ate all day long, I'll look and it was still only like eight hours. Yes. And it felt like forever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I just love that feeling of not being, I don't know, bloated, I guess. Mm -hmm. Not just bloated, but just like that feeling you get when you're just, I've eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten and I can't eat another bite. That overly full. Yes, the blue zones. They talk about eating the whole eighty percent. Era hachi boo or something. I yeah, think. Uh, that's then, it. Um, Okinawa. I don't know if I said that right, so I apologize, everybody. Harry hachi boo <laughs> hachi. I don't know what I, it's something like that. But yes, the concept of the Japanese concept of eating until eighty percent full and stopping. Yeah. We're not supposed to feel super stuffed. Yep. And I feel better. It's not always easy. Well, and not that I don't ever go past the Harry hachi boo, but. <laughs> I just, I love the fact that you can do that now. Whereas I, I don't know that I could have done that before. Like I would eat till I'm done eating, not till I'm comfortably satiated. Yeah. Satisfied and feeling good. You want to feel good. And if you go too far, it doesn't feel good. Right. And the, really, I think that's how we live our lives. When you really get to be an intermittent faster and you're intuitive about it, your goal is feeling good. Yeah. And so you gravitate yes. towards the foods and the schedule and the number of meals that make you feel good because that's the most yes. important thing. Yeah. Now you mentioned a while back and we didn't really explore that, that you had a dysfunctional relationship with food for a long time. Can you talk about that? Sure. So this probably brings up probably to the harder part of my story. So when I was a teenager, I suffered from, I, I was raped. I was assaulted a couple of oh, times. Sorry. Thank you. And just the whole body image thing, you know? And so when my migraine started when I was 15, you're so nauseous when you get migraines. And we didn't know that I was getting migraines and I was nauseous all the time. And so I started, you have a migraine and then you throw up and oh gracious, now you feel a little bit better at least. And so probably in that sort of 15 to probably 17 range, I started, I would not say actively bulimic, but definitely the purging purging. Yes. Not the binging so much. That didn't start till later when I was like, probably more in my twenties. And, you know, you're trying to figure out how to eat all these six meals and it got progressively worse. And I think that the diet mindset of tracking your calories, whether it's tracking them and then throwing them up or tracking them and excessively exercising, just the whole mindset of trying to control things and it can go so far into dysfunction thinking that then that just becomes your normal. It's so sad. So I had blissfully, I had come out of that place of bulimia before Alex was born. She was the daughter that I got sick with, which I'm super grateful for, but the mindset was still there. So even though I wasn't binging and purging the mindset that food is good or bad or that you should exercise a certain amount, just that real dysfunctional thinking in regard to all things diety really came out of that time of, I think, just hardship as a teenager. 
never mind your body image. Never mind. We could go on a whole rabbit trail with that. Yeah. And and the whole idea of you you felt like everything was out of control. So the one thing you could control is what came in and what came out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And also so, that made me think back to what we were saying about calorie counting and the math equation you're adding is you keep putting the food in, but if you just purge it, now you can subtract that. Yeah. In your brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the focus on calories like kind of leads to that kind of thinking. It certainly does. Well, and then that feeling of not being full again, that feeling, and then you sort of get addicted to that feeling of not being full. And so there were times in my fasting that I would have to guard against. Am I fasting for health? Am I fasting because I want that feeling of not having any food in my system? So there's a real fine line. You have to be very cautious of uh, not to deter someone from fasting, but it brings me to kind of where I want to talk in a little bit about fasting when we're not eating and we're not feeding our feelings. When we're going through something, we're not just shoving the food in our mouths. It's a wonderful opportunity to take stock of what you're actually going through, not just ignoring it. I think that's really, really important. You know, in the Delayed on Tonight community, every day we have members who post about struggling with emotional eating. You know, for so many of us that have struggled with our weight, one reason was because we would feed those emotions. And so now you're fasting and you have used food as a coping mechanism for so many years, now you feel a little bit lost. Yes. Because you're like, well, now how do I cope? Because I'm no longer, I'm not eating. My eating window is closed. I'm, not, I'm fasting right now. So you just really, you don't have any other tools. So you have to develop tools as, as you had to kind of go through that. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. And I love it because that's going to bring us kind of to the last like probably nine months. So before, let's say last fall, okay, I was in the best place. You know, I had lost almost all the weight I had lost. I was, I was about five, it was just before I hit 170 and I was just in this groove. I'm trying all the different fasting protocols, loving it. In fact, my favorite probably for the rest of my life will be some sort of a hybrid where three or four days a week, I'll have sort of a normal, maybe two meals a day. And then I've got a couple longer fast, 24, 36, 40, whatever. And then one day that's just flexible, probably Sundays. That way I can take communion at church and you're going to laugh, Jen. For the first year and a half, I literally would bring home the little communion cup and I would take it later in my window because I didn't want to break my fast. I'm not going to laugh because I would probably do the same thing only because <laughs> we always, I have to laugh also because in the Facebook days, right? The Facebook yes. days, you were there. You, I'm sure you remembered seeing some communion posts, but people would get all bent out of shape over communion posts. We always would say, it's a religious observance. Do it and move on. And Absolutely. don't get out of shape about it. Don't worry about it. if it breaks your fast. It, it's okay. Do communion. Move on. But me, personally, I think it would make me starving. That's exactly what happened is I tried it. And mm-hmm. I was like, 20 minutes later, I'm shaky and I yes, can't focus on the that blood sugar crash. So I just thought, I thought <laughs> either I'm going to not fast on Sundays and I feel so good fasting. I'm not going to, and everybody should make their own decision. This certainly exactly. isn't like, you know, the gospel according to St. Juliet. But for me, that's what I did is I just took it home and I had my communion later in my window. But I do love the fact that now I have that flexible day on Sundays. So I just take communion. I come home and I eat like no big deal. When people would post about it, there would always be that person who would be like, you know, had to give you their religious beliefs of how they... <laughs> 
this is not what this is about. So we had to just always close comments. And then people yes. were mad that you were closing comments. And it, there was just no way to win on that. But oh, the tightrope that you guys used to it walk. Hard. It was hard <sighs> because literally no matter what we did, someone was mad. No yes. matter what choice we made. We're like, okay, well, let's see. People got let's mad see. at everything. People got How mad we that we were allowing discussion of religion or that we, I don't know. It's really nice. The new community, we have no problem. Someone actually said the other day, they made a post and they're like, delete if not allowed or something. And it was, it was a perfectly fine post. We didn't delete it. And I said, fun fact, we've never had to delete a post here in the community because everybody's so awesome. And someone else <laughs> said, someone said, I thought this was very heavily moderated over how amazing it is. I'm like, no, it's just that good. People are just playing nice. That's all. We're not moderating. I mean, it's me, Sherry, and Roxy are the only admins. We have zero moderators. And wow. everyone just like moderates themselves with being good people. Oh, that's what a blessing. It is such a blessing. It is. Yeah. And everyone is allowed to be themselves. And we're allowed to be different from each other, which is like, you know, that as a teacher, that was what I always wanted to, you know, cultivate in my classroom. We celebrate our differences. Yeah. You know, if everyone was exactly the same, it would be ridiculous. It's nice to have a place. Yeah. You could do communion or don't do communion or be religious or don't be religious. And it is fine. It is fine. It's all good. It is good. Yeah. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings, or the midnight munchies, yeah. You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So I'm in this really amazing place. I'm starting to do some... I didn't seek it out necessarily, but my friends at church, my friends at different like functions, they're like, oh my gosh, you're not in a wheelchair. What are you doing? Yes, you've lost some weight, but you're not in a wheelchair. I don't understand. So there were lots of opportunities to do like some coaching and some encouraging some different people. So I'm in this like really beautiful place, kind of full circle with my fasting, right? And I hit 170. And then when I was in high school, remember that I was talking about when I was like from 15 yes. to 17, I, I hit 170 and when I, and that's kind of the weight I was in high school, like 155 to 170. As soon as I came below 170, Jen, it's a bringing up all kinds of stuff. Wow. I mean, tons of stuff. And I was struggling, honestly, because I didn't really know what to do with it. Not that I hadn't worked through some of those issues before, but something about being in that weight range, I felt unsafe felt vulnerable. I felt like, and my husband's amazing. He's just the best guy. So this was certainly nothing that he had anything to do with. He was very gracious with me, 
help me talk through things, but I just didn't understand my body was physically responding to trauma, old trauma, being mm-hmm. at this new weight. So what really brought it to a head was my sweet friend was coming to take pictures of my family. And then I've always struggled to have my picture taken. And I thought it was because where women were self-conscious. I thought it was that. If I'm taking a selfie with my phone, I just hold it up, I click it, it's okay. But there's no like shutter sound like a camera would make. Yes. So we're here and we're all dressed and we're outside. She took amazing pictures. I can't tell you how grateful I am that she came and did it. But the clicking of her camera just set off this whirlwind of memories that came back. And without getting too much in detail, as a child, and my parents were super protective. This did not happen at their house. This happened at somebody else's house. There were pictures taken of me as a little uh, kid. That it was that trauma yeah. memory. Five, that six, click. seven, eight, and the clicks. And you can see some of the pictures when she first started taking them. I have a look on my face of terror. Mm-hmm. And I just had not, because I hadn't heard the sound of a camera in a long time, but being that weight and that size. And then the pictures, it was incredible. So I'm dealing with all sound, all music takes you there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm in this place where all of a sudden I'm vulnerable. I'm scared. I'm not really sure how to cope through it. And you know how, when you talk about fasting only heals, if it's dealing with the thing that is broken, for example, like if you're fasting and you have pneumonia, Fasting is not going to cure pneumonia. You have to take an antibiotic. And so in that space, fasting wasn't going to fix my emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. And I would like to say to my shame, but I don't know how else you deal with it. I went zipping back to like those dietary thoughts of trying to control, trying to be in a place that was safe. And I didn't turn towards my, I'm a person of, of faith and I did not turn towards that. I instead I turned and I tried to, it was almost like I was trying to manipulate fasting to make me feel better about all the things. And so I had about six months, six to eight months of just, I would try different fasting schedules. I tried different dietary, like I said, hardcore back into that diety sort of mindset. And honestly, Jen, it wasn't until probably just a few weeks ago when uh, it all kind of came to a head and I realized what I was doing and why I was I was miserable fasting, honestly. Like I was still doing it because it makes me feel well physically, but I was so unhappy you doing it because I was into it. Absolutely, I'm so grateful for the time because I think it makes us realize that because fasting isn't going to fix everything, we need to be willing to do the hard things, the hard work, go to counseling, get some help, work through those things that probably made you start overeating in the first place, have body issues in the first place. So much of that is right on the money because fasting doesn't fix the struggles that we're having in our brain. We have to do the work and deal with them. Like, you know, why do I keep eating at 8 a.m. even though I intend to fast all day? That's something you have to work through. Yeah. Or whatever, whatever the struggle might be. That was just an example. Certainly. And what I love is that it, it brought me to this place where it allowed me to deal with all that. It brought it up and dealing with it and then come to a place where I was reminded that fasting is such a blessing. It's such a wonderful tool for health and for wellness, but also in realizing that it has limitations and that being a person of faith, I 
I think I was relying on fasting to fix everything. And I think that maybe that might've been my struggle maybe all along in my fasting journey is that I wanted to fix things that, that fasting can't fix. Yeah. I mean, it can lower your insulin. It lowers inflammation. It helps your body have time to rest and repair, but it isn't going to fix the thoughts in your brain that need to be addressed. Like if you're having, if you're in a stall, right? And let's say you're fasting perfectly. You're fasting just the best schedule for you. You're eating the best foods for you. But if you are in a state of constant elevated cortisol because you're stressed about something, your body, it's got like little lock and key on your fat cells. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, we saw that in the early days of the pandemic. People who had been sailing along doing great all of a sudden massively started to struggle all at the same time. And it was the stress that we were all going through. Yeah. And so for me coming back to a place where I had known these things had happened before and I had forgiven the people that it was part of, but there's just such a difference in my healing, my mental space now than there was before. And I'm so much more, what's the word I'm looking for? At peace. And I think that fasting, when it's going really well for you, there should be a real sense of peace that comes with what you're doing a real well, sense of contentment. You know, that the chapter in Fast Feast Repeat is called Tweak It Till It's Easy. Yeah. And I really do mean that because it's not supposed to be a struggle. And if someone is struggling, there's something that needs to be tweaked or addressed. That emotional part, that's a real thing to, to have to struggle. Not all of fasting is physical. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of it is mental. Oh, like yeah. Graham Curry and I have talked before, and he's like, the mental part is huge. If, if you can't get the mental part right, then the physical part is is you, know, you just it, that the mental part is really important. The mindset, the the emotional part, very huge. Absolutely. Uh, there was a quote that I found the other day, and it was really really cool. Let me see if I can get it. Oh, here it is. It says, without a purpose, fasting can be a miserable, self centered experience about willpower and endurance. <laughs> and I love that. It, and it really can be. But if you have a purpose behind why you're doing it for health, for wellness, for therapy, for whether you're doing the longer fast for therapeutic reasons or your daily fast, but having that purpose just goes such a long way to helping you enjoy the process of fasting. Well, I think that's huge because in my early days before I had the understanding of what fasting is doing for our bodies, if I go way back to the beginning, especially the struggle years of 2009 to 2014 when I dabbled in it, it felt like the fast was something to get through. Mm. If only I could get through the fast and get right. to my eating window, that's where the fun is. <laughs> really, when you start to celebrate the fast for what it's doing, the healing that it's done for you, you appreciate the fast, you celebrate the fast, you don't want to stop that. Right. It makes a huge difference. You, you're no longer in that, oh, this is the time when I can't. You're like, oh, this is the time when my body is doing amazing things. Yes, absolutely. There was a phrase that we coined a while ago when I was first first fasting, and I I said I want I want you to protect your fast, protect it from just all the ideas that oh I need a muffin or I needed this or I needed that or I like you said you can't have something, but protect that because it's doing miraculous things in your body. If you fast one hour a day, three hundred sixty five days, that's three hundred sixty five hours of healing you didn't have the year before. Yep, even if you for someone who normally eats it. Seven in the morning, if you delay it till eight, there's that one extra hour. And then, yeah, it it adds up over time. It absolutely does, without a doubt. 
I know you shared a ton of non-scale victories, your health victories. Are there any other non-scale victories besides the ones you've already mentioned? Let me think. All those things are different. All the things that I mentioned before are just completely different. I mean, I've maintained a weight loss. That's like a huge one. Even though that's a scale victory, it's the maintaining of it is a non-scale thing because that's the worst part of losing weight, right? Right. I think that my worst days now are better than my best days before IF when it comes to health wise. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Like I said, I think the spiritual growth from not eating your feelings, I think time in the fasted state and experiencing hunger, I think it actually creates that opportunity. Like you're saying no to yourself and there's a certain, you know, sort of like asceticism that comes with that, regardless Mm -hmm. of what you believe, it really does. You're there's like a discipline there that I think causes you to be more disciplined in other areas of your life. Yes, I was just thinking that that is so true. And then you, you can delay the purchase of that new car or do I need this purse? No, I do not. Yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. get better at delaying all those things. You realize we don't need to give into every single impulse that we have all day long. All day long. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like a simplicity to things, I think, too, because you're not thinking of the three meals plus two snacks that you have to do. I love too that like my children, since I've been fasting, they've learned, oh, if I'm not hungry, I don't have to eat. My six-year-old, well, I've eaten my half a bowl of oatmeal, mom, can I eat it? And it's not because I'm going to just throw it out. I say, yeah, you can eat the rest of it for lunch. No big deal. If you're full, you're full. Don't eat. That's a valuable lesson. Yep. Growing up, like you eat what's on front of you and then you're, it's, there's, you don't leave food. That's such a trap. And then the kids don't know when they, they lose track of their hunger and satiety signals forever because we made them eat that. So <laughs> Yes. Eat, eat, eat. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we learn as we go. So we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? I wish I had known that ADF wasn't so scary and that it might be something that a person needs to do. If you're perimenopausal or if you've got years of chronic health issues, you're type 2 diabetic, there's a pretty good sized list of things that are insulin related diseases. Dieting and need a metabolic boost. Exactly. You are going to have to do some form of ADF. And so just knowing that going into it, I think would be smart for people. Maybe don't, I mean, you don't have to try it when you first start fasting. If you're on a long stall, go to that as opposed to, oh, gracious, now I've got to do ADF. No, it's just part of, and it's therapeutic. You don't have to do therapeutic things forever. That's true. Um, I, that would have been really nice to know, I think, early on, not to be so like afraid of it. What else? I think start where you start. Don't make it a big deal. Just tomorrow, delay your eating by a, an hour. Close your window early by an hour until you get to that sweet spot. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be complicated. That's such good advice. Juliet, I am so grateful that we had the chance to talk today. And more than anything, I'm thrilled that you've got your health back. And there is nothing better in the world than that. Yeah, all the way. Well, thank you so much. Jen, thank you so much for all you do in the community and all you've done. And I think just being really honest is probably the best part of who you are. Well, thank you. I can't be any other way. Sometimes Chad wishes I could. (laughs) (laughs) have a great day and thank you thanks jen do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and i'll add you to the lineup that's g-i-n at intermittentfastingstories.com the world wants to hear your story 
that's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.